as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top Pair Podcast. It is I. I'm your host. It is Eric Weinstein with me from Rochester, New York. It is Nicholas J. Maxwell. Nikki, how we doing? I'm good, friend. I'm good. What do you think the J stands for? It's got to be James, right? <laughs> nope, it's John. John. Uh, I was. I would have been third because I was going to guess Joseph, Joseph after that. Um, but anyway, um, hey, I know the middle initial. That's all that matters. Um, here we are again. It is Tuesday night. It is 7.33 p.m. on March 30th. Um, here to talk another week of National Hockey League news. But before we do that, you know, we got to hit you with first. Got to hit you with the housekeeping. Where you can find us is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Audio Boom. You can find us on the homepage of the A1 Sports Network. That is a1sportsnetwork.com. Find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at A1 Sports Network. The podcast is on Twitter and Instagram at Top Pair underscore pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Eric Weinstein, two C's, two N's. You can find me on Twitter at nmaxwell01 or on Instagram at nickjmaxwell. I didn't even tee you up just because I knew. You knew it was coming, so why should I? I was looking at your eyes. It was in your eyes that you wanted me to say that. Yeah, well, I was looking up at the TV. Gonzaga is crushing USC right now, 17-4. Um, I, <laughs> I took the over on this game, so I'm hoping that Gonzaga scores like 90,000 points. Um, okay, back to hockey news. Um, the biggest story of this past week, I don't know about you, but I found it hilarious. Um, National Hockey League official Tim Peel, uh, was on the hottest of hot mics when in, it was uh, going to commercial. He had called kind of like a week, I think, whatever, I think it was like a trip or a hook, whatever it was. It was super weak on the Nashville Predators. And while he's on this hot mic, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty much this. He said, yeah, I've been wanting to fucking call a penalty on Nashville. So I just gave him that one. It was something like that where he got caught saying that he was trying to, Call a penalty. Um, NHL obviously heard of th- heard this on the hot mic, and Tim Peel is never going to officiate a game in the NHL ever again. Uh, his career is done. He was retiring at the end of the season anyway, so whatever like pomp and circumstance they might have done for him, um, it's not happening because his career as an official is over. So, Nikki, again, I told you I thought it was hysterical. When I heard this, uh, what were your thoughts on Tim Peel forcibly having to hang him up? Yeah, I, I, I really like Tim Peel as a referee. I'm not going to lie. So when this came out, I was like, oh, no, like this is not going to end well. I mean, I think like everybody else, like Paul Maurice said this best because I've just been watching a lot of player reactions to it. He goes, look, all referees want this game they all want to leave a hockey game knowing that they had no outcome on it. Basically meaning that both teams played hard, they played fair, it was clean, and the result came out how the result came out that night. And I 100% agree. I don't think Tim Peel was in any type of like Tim Donahue situation no. where he's like betting on games, helping out the mob, stuff like that. I mean, players love Tim Peel, so I think he would be – and from what I've heard, he's not the brightest bulb. <laughs> um, or brightest light what is the sharpest tool in the shed or whatever that'll work however yeah. you want to phrase it that'll work sharpest um, knife in the drawer that'll work yeah 
Yeah, he's not smart. He's not like overly IQ wise smart. Obviously but, not. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, like the whole part of the hot mic thing. And look, I'm not going to say like makeup calls have been sort of a part of hockey culture for forever, right? Like I've been in games before, and I've and I've heard this from different coaches that I played for at a lot of different levels. When there's been a run on penalties, and I think this is what Tim Peel was trying to do, when there's been a run on penalties from one team to the other, referees are going to look to make a ticky-tacky call towards the other side to make it look like they're not being biased, right? And I've been on teams where our coaches have said, hey, look, guys, we're on a five-on-three right now. Make sure your sticks are down. Make sure your bodies are in position because they're going to they're looking to give us one. And, again, it's not going to be to the point where refs are trying to fix games. They're just trying to make it to the point where – they're trying to make it as even as an outcome as possible, right? It's the same thing where when you walk and look into the playoffs and you're in overtime and you see things that are pretty much called, you know, hooks or high sticks or whatever, and they don't get called by officials because they just don't want the game to be ending that way. Is it an ideal situation? No. I think the national high. I lost you. Hang on. I hear you now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I do. Your face is frozen, but I can hear you, at least. Okay, you can hear me? Yes. I hope I'm making a hilarious face. It's just a big smile. A big toothy smile. But anyway, just to finish on my thought, like, I don't think Tim Tim Peel didn't do this on purpose. Yes, I do think the National Hockey League made the right call here. I just really hope there's no, like, egregious penalties in the playoffs right now because people are going to be like, look, it's a coup. Like, they're totally in on it. Conspiracy. They're all gambling on the games. No, it's not the case. Yeah, and I'm going to take this, again, I've, um, (laughs) disclaimer, I've never officiated any type of professional game. Um, You know, I'm the son of a basketball ref, a baseball umpire. I umpired baseball myself for a long time. The makeup call is a part of sports. You know, I would call a pitch that was, you know, I'll, a million times I've called pitches that were too high a strike, and then I'll say to the catcher coming back, I owe you this one because of, you know, just missing a call. It happens. The problem is, is that everybody knows that it's going to happen, but you don't want it broadcasted. So Tim Peel is then on this microphone saying, yeah, I got to fucking get one back on you. You know, it, it doesn't look... it. It doesn't sound good when it's actually said out loud and on a microphone and the F-bomb didn't get censored. So it was, you know, pretty much an avalanche of bad for Tim Peel. Again, I'm a, I'm with you. I don't believe it's a Tim Donaghy situation at all, and I love the reference that you made. Um, but, you know, it's just a shame that his, you know, he had a long career and, you know, I think he's, he refed over like 1,700 games or something. Like the guy's been a great, uh, maybe not a great official, but he's been a respected official for years and years and, you know, just kind of a, kind of sucks it has to end this way. But yeah, Tim Peel will not be officiating any more NHL games. He is donezo. So uh, moving on from that, we got some, I mean, happier news. We, we've been starting the podcast a lot with like negative news. So I'm going to bring up a nice little positive, um, you know, a positive spin on the podcast moving on from here. So I'm sure most of you heard, uh, Patrick Marlowe, second all-time in games played in the National Hockey League. feel like he's been playing for 100 years now. He passed Marc Messier with his 1,757th game, 10 games away from tying the immortal Gordie Howe. He, what was that? 
Do you hear a beep? No. Oh, well, I heard a beep. Oh, well. Um, anyway, he's 10 games away from... Man, a lot of technical problems this week. Um, 10 games away from tying the immortal Gordie Howe, which anybody who catches a Gordie Howe record... Hall of Fame in my book. He's going to finish his career with the most career games played in the National Hockey League with the Sharks, the Leafs. He played like 11 games with the Penguins last year. Um, so Patrick, I think I saw a stat. Maybe, was it you that told me this, that like he has more games played than like the Minnesota Wild? I was getting to that. Thank you for cutting me off. But yes, he has uh, played more games all time than the Minnesota Wild have. Um, the Minnesota Wild have been around for about 20 years now. So that just shows the longevity of Patrick Marlowe, and he's been a great player. Um, I think he, I'm going to pull up his stats. I think it was 564 career goals. Um, second pick overall, 1997. Yeah, 564 career goals, 630 assists for 1,194 points in 1,757 games. Patrick Marlowe basically going to punch his ticket to the Hall of Fame once he breaks that all-time games played record. Yeah, <clears throat> I love Patty Marlowe. He was one of my favorite players growing up. Um, it, it's just like he is—he is like the San Jose Sharks, right? Like when you think of the Sharks, like he's probably the first guy that you think of. He's the oldest ten-year Shark. He'll probably be the whole, like the longest ever playing San Jose Shark. He'll own, I think, pretty much every record at this point if he doesn't already. And it, it's just awesome for him because for an organization that doesn't really have a lot of history, that to. to for that to be, I don't know if he was their first ever first overall pick, but like to be like that guy, you know, taking the same draft, obviously as Joe Thornton. The franchise. I mean, can you can you ask for a better like a be- a pick to turn out better than Patrick Marlowe did? <laughs> I mean, he's forty one. He got drafted right. when he was eighteen. I mean, it's a, a life. His whole adult life is basically in San Jose, minus the couple of years in Toronto and like the three weeks in Pittsburgh. So. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't ask for more out of a draft pick than what the Sharks got with Patrick Marlowe. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I don't want to say anything negative about him right now uh, during this time period. You know, there. I will say this: there are a lot of people that don't want him to see him break Gordie Howe's record. But for a guy that's lasted as long as he has, because he's somebody who's obviously always depended on his offensive ability, and we've seen, I've seen a lot of guys take that steep, steep decline. To the point where no one's really offering them a contract that's just not worth their dollar amount. For you to be able to maintain that measure of success and stability, like hats off to that guy. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just I'm pulling up his career stats, like the point totals. It just consistency. Like, two, I'll go from 2002-03 on. 57 points, 57 points, 86 points, 78 points, 71 points, 83 points, 73 points. Like this guy throughout his whole career. Just so consistent. Lockout shortened season, 31 points in 48 games. Then right back with 70 points, 57 points. And then, you know, at age 36, it's he started to go down, 48, 46, but 47 points in Toronto. Like, this guy was consistent throughout his whole career. You know, he's going to finish up with over 1,200 points. And the BS with, oh, he shouldn't break Gordie Howe's record. Like, why? I feel like it's so cool to have a guy, an icon – like Gordie Howe, to have one of his records broken, it's like when, like, think of, like, the all-time records that get broken, like, say, now I can't think of any, like, LeBron passing Michael Jordan, like, Michael Jordan, an icon, like, LeBron's gonna end up passing Karl Malone, 
like another icon. Like those, that's just shows the like the longevity and how good these guys can be for so long that they can end up playing all of these games. So I'm, I'm the opposite of those thinkers. I think it's awesome that Patrick Marlowe is going to be the all-time games played leader in NHL history. I think that's, you know, it's just hats off to him on an it's outstanding career that's, you know, obviously not over yet. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to add other than what we've already said. So I, I just think this guy, you know, I think he's only like, what, like he's less than 20 games, I think, from breaking that record, right? He's 10 games away. Yeah, so he's going to get it possibly within the next by mid-April, I would guess. So. By the, yeah, God, you know, obviously health permitting, which obviously you want to stay healthy. He will break the record by the end of this year. So, you know, shouts to Patty Marlowe. We're big fans of him on this podcast. And sticking with the games played aspect of everything, um, a favorite of mine that all you guys know on the podcast, Keith Yandel played in his 900th straight game the National Hockey League. He's got forget who owns the record, but he's pretty close to breaking the record for all games played in a row. Um, another guy, just a model of consistency on offense and, you know, a guy who they thought was going to get health bombed at the beginning of the year, but, you know, he continues to put up points for the Florida Panthers who, you know, they're really going to need him now and we'll get to why in a little bit, but, you know, Keith Yandel, another guy, just model of consistency, 900 straight games um, with the Coyotes, the Rangers, and now the Panthers. You know, Keith Yandel, 900 straight games. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. There's really not much, I don't think. Yeah, Doug Jarvis is the guy who... Doug Jarvis. 964 games from 75 to 87, which is freaking ridiculous in that era. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) played 964 straight games. Yeah, and they were wearing, like, pillows... Like literal pillows for yeah. Parents. It was like, like it was like legal to check somebody like with your stick like across the mouth. Like it was just, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, talk about a guy like I think we talked about him before probably on this podcast. Like, dude just had to always fight and claw and scratch for his position in the lineup, right? Like a fourth rounder, maybe even a fifth round pick. I think it's a fourth rounder. Fourth round pick. And then it's just like he's an undersized defenseman who was really dependent on like his ability to move the puck and help out on the power play. Like that's that's tough. Like especially like we're not talking about that position now. Like you're talking about that position like ten years ago. Right. Like you really need a coach and a system that either A really believes in you or B is really open to the idea that somebody like that can play in this league. And luckily for him, Phoenix was that type was that type of team. Um and, and then on top of that, too, like you said, like the ability to stay healthy that long when you're that undersized and guys, especially on defensemen, like when center, these big giant power forwards are skating at you full speed trying to put you through the boards. Like it just takes a lot of a little bit of luck and just like a lot of like just pure will to keep yourself going in the lineup and staying that level of consistent because at that type of that, the type of player that he is, teams will sometimes look for reasons to pull you out of the lineup. I agree. And yes, yeah, so again, the longevity, the sustained greatness to not really have a dip in play to just continue bringing it night after night. Keith Yano, he's going to probably, you know, God willing, he's going to break Doug Jarvis's record if he stays healthy. You know, knock on wood, it's always if he stays healthy. I shouldn't even say that. But Keith Yano, 900 straight, straight games. And Phil Kessel's actually hot on his heels. I think he's like 877 straight games played or something yeah. like that. 
So Phil the Thrill, who's having kind of a resurgent year out in Phoenix, um, you know, he's hot on his heels. So I'm sure we'll get to Phil when he hits the 900 game mark. So, um, so now the reason why we said that Yandel's going to have to kind of pick up his play a little bit, just awful news coming out of Florida. Just, and I have been the biggest Panthers criticizer, probably, I mean, definitely out of the two of us, but Aaron Ekblad, who was finally having that Norris type season, like everybody expected of him as a first overall pick, you know, finally just playing outstanding hockey. He's took a tough hit into the boards. Um, he's going to be out for 12 weeks. Uh, he's going to have surgery. Um, I believe it was a fracture in his leg. Um, so he's going to be out. He had to be stretched off the ice. And just terrible, terrible news for Florida, who had been rolling, been one of the stories of the league. And, you know, like I said, was having a Norris-type year for the Florida Panthers. And he's going to be pretty much done for the rest of it. Um you know, I think I sent either you sent it to me or I sent it to you. Just, just awful news for the Panthers and for Ekblad. Yeah, it's just a terrible situation for a defenseman to be in when you're skating, when you're backwards and kind of you're falling awkwardly, and the boards are right there, and you're trying to stay balanced. It just sucks. Like, like, like you said, like I tweeted that out earlier. Like, dude was just having a Norris type season. He's a huge reason for. Just as much as almost as Barkov and Huberto for the Panthers' success. Like, he really is. He was playing like that top-level defenseman, like you said, finally. And it sucks. Like, a 12-week recovery, but it's also just, like, the mental part, too, like, when you're coming back. Like, I had a really bad knee injury just like that before. Um, you know, mine was a different type of hit where it was more knee on knee. But the lower half of your body is everything for a hockey player, right? It's all about your foot speed, your leg strength, your trust in your edges and stuff, using your balance. And it's also like trying to, you know, you have enough confidence in your legs to kind of fend off defenders when you're carrying the puck. And I I don't know if he'll be, he, he won't be himself. I don't think right away. I think it could take almost all of next year for him to kind of regain his trust back in his body again, especially when it was so much, such an awkward fall like that. But I'm praying for that dude because I loved watching him play this year. Yeah, I found myself watching a lot of Florida Panthers. And, you know, the good thing for Ekblad is that he's, it's, I feel like he's been in the league forever. He's still only 24. He's, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? He's, very, he's still very young. So definitely age is on his side. You know, in 35 games, he had 22 points. You know, he was on the power play with them. You know, he was a leader on that team. And, you know, you, the three guys I think of when, well, I guess four if you count Keith Yandel as well, but you think of Huberto, Barkov, and you think of Ekblad as that core. And, you know, the Panthers, they're now all of a sudden, they're a team who's now, you know, could be in buy mode when it comes to the, you know, to the trade deadline. Because, I mean, there weren't really that many holes. I wouldn't, like, off the top of my head, I can't think of at least maybe, you know, a depth guy. But now you lose a top defenseman, you know, all of a sudden, you know, somebody gets moved up and you're playing somebody who hasn't really played a lot this season, whether whoever's their healthy scratch or on their taxi squad. So it's, um, you know, it's something the Panthers are going to have to think of. And um, just, I, I don't even know what to say anymore about it. It just, it sucks. The type of year that he was having, it sucks. I don't really know if there's anything else to say. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. It's just... I don't know. It's just the least favorite. It's my least favorite part of sports. It's when dudes get injured because I watched. I want to watch the best players play. Like I want to watch superstars play. I don't really care what team they're on. 
Right. It's it's the entertainment value of it. And unfortunately for a franchise that's been struggling for relevancy and, and attention, he was finally giving that to him. Right. And that that's the worst part is that everybody knew he could be this type of player. I mean, the guy's as the guy's big as a house. I think he's what is he six four two fifteen? He's listed at. You know he's and he skate. He's so fast. He's so good on his skates, and you know just they might have to change the way he plays now. But hopefully it's a you know a quick, easy recovery for him. Hopefully he's back to the way he was, and you know hopefully he's back by the start of training camp next year. But you know we'll see. But so best wishes go out to Aaron Eckblad from this podcast for sure. Okay, now moving along from that, we had a couple trades. Trade deadline season. It's officially begun. The first trade was Eric Stahl being saved from the Buffalo Sabres. He was, sorry, he was traded to... The no, Hawks. I'm sure he sprinted over that border. Yeah. I don't he, even think he probably waited for a cab. He, he, can't wait like, nope. to, he can't wait to go into that 10-day quarantine. He cannot <laughs> wait. So Eric Stahl was traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the Habitant de Montreal. He was traded for a third and a fifth round pick. Basically a rental. You know, just a depth guy for... You know, for Montreal as they look to make their playoff run, he's um, probably a third line center at this point. Shores up down the middle, going to be great in that locker room. Um, I like this move for Montreal. Kind of a, I don't know if it's like less than I would expect him to go to uh, go for. But what did you think of the trade? Did you think it was too much, too little? No, I thought that was about right. I mean, he wasn't really having a great year statistically. He just looks kind of slow this year. Um, I know he struggled with an injury a little bit around earlier in the year, and that kind of set his conditioning back. And he said he kind of felt like he was starting over from down zero and trying to play catch up the whole year. And I mean, it, it, it like you know, people I think get caught up sometimes when they see like these guys who are past their prime be like, "Why is he selling for so? Why is he signing for so cheap?" It's like, well, he's not the player that he was in in 2012. You know what I mean? And now just I I. I like Eric Stahl for that for that team, you know they have a lot of young centermen. I think he'd be a good person to learn from. But I think the price was right for both. I mean, do I expect the Sabres to join anything with those picks? No. Um, I think it's just another cap clearing space, part of the what will be a lot of absolute torching of the roster this offseason. So I don't know. I think it's a good move by both teams. You know, the Sabres, you're not going to resign him. He's a UFA. Like, why would you bother hanging on to him? And I think for the for the Caps or for the Habs, you're just kind of like, why not? We need to keep adding as much depth as possible because we think we got a real shot here. Right, exactly. And you know, another move that might pay dividends come come playoff time is speaking of the Habs, they got Cole Caulfield on his entry level deal. Woo. And if anybody has watched this kid at the University of Wisconsin, if you watched him in the World Juniors tournament, this kid is. Just a goal scorer in every sense of the word. From any part of the ice, that dude can score. I think he's going to Laval to start in the AHL, but it's very likely that this young man could end up being on the roster come playoff time. And it will be so interesting to see this guy in the NHL because he can rip it. Yeah. I mean, he listed at 5'8". I'm going to say that's probably generous. Probably. Um, But he's just – he scored at every level – like that he's ever played at. And I knew on his draft that he was going to be one of those guys that fell. And I just knew that too many old school GMs were saying, well, you know, with size, are we sure you can hold up and play? And it's like, yeah, 
okay, he was having a Hobie Baker type year playing for Wisconsin. Um, didn't put up as many points as I think he wanted to in the World Junior Tournament this year, but it, again, he didn't get to play with I think his top level guys. I he's just he's gonna be a, a I think his floor is somebody who's gonna have eighteen to twenty. 18 to 22 goals every single year. And again, that, I'm saying that's his floor. He can easily, you know, he's got a great release. He doesn't need a lot of room to get his shot off. I just think whether or not he becomes a huge part for the Canadians in this year, in this playoff run, or next year, I don't know. But it'll be something where he will be the part of the future. And I have his stats from from Wisconsin up. In 36 games in 2019-2020, at 36 points in 36 games, 19 goals. Then this year in 29 games, he had 27 goals and 21 assists for 48 points. Yeah. So his college career was 65 games, 84 points. <laughs> and you can't like people. People will compare like his stats in college to like somebody somebody's stats in like the OHL. It's not the same thing. It's, it's not. not the same style. Like it's a much tighter checking game, and 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 also like him playing in college is playing against more physically mature guys and much more guys who focus on defensive end like to me that's just as impressive as probably somebody who's a top 15 scorer in the ohl 10 power play goals this year 10 he was a plus 14 just an i mean a finalist for the hobie baker award if not the eventual winner of the award um i'm very excited to see this guy play i'm also very excited to use him in nhl uh, 21 because just going to rip pucks with the Habs. Um, okay, so now there was also another trade, um, kind of like a lower-key trade. Brendan Lemieux, of the New York, formerly of the New York Rangers, was traded to the LA Kings for a fourth-round pick. Um, Brendan Lemieux, you know, one of those guys, he's a good way to shore up the bottom six, um, plays with a little bit. Like his third time being traded. Yeah, he's been traded, and, and he's, he's only 25. I mean, he's it's not like he's old. Um, you know, seven points in 31 games this year, but he's one of those guys who you bring him in, you know what you want him for. He's going to bring a little bite to the game. You know, he's going to get under the opponent's skin and, yeah. you know, I mean, he's clawed, he's clawed the muse son. Exactly. Right? You know exactly what you're bringing that guy in for. You're bringing that guy in to stir up some ruckus when you need to put some emotion in your lineup and to piss off the other team like that. And occasionally he'll chip in with a goal or an assist. Exactly. Yeah. He's. You know, he's a perfect, you know, checking line agitator. I, I like Brendan Lemieux a lot. And, you know, the price of a fourth-round pick for the Kings, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like a steal for the Kings. I mean, they're giving up pretty much nothing for him. So, But the, re- the real reason why the Rangers did it um, is because their first-round pick in 2018, I believe, Vitaly Kravstov is ready to come over from the KHL. And this kid is unbelievable. He is a beauty. I've heard that about every NHL or every New York Rangers first round pick. I'm still waiting for Pavel Buchnevich to be a 35 goal scorer. Listen, Pavel Buchnevich is having like a very good season, like <laughs> quietly. I like hate a 35 goal scorer type season because that's what I kept hearing. So he's got 13 goals and 18 assists in 33 games. So it's 30, not a 35 goal scorer. It's not, <laughs> but he's almost at a point per game. You got to give him a little credit. I mean. <laughs> is is he ever going to be a superstar? We know this. No. Is he going to be a, a serviceable top six forward? Like you feel good about him being on your second line? Yeah. 
too. Yeah, and that's great in your first pick, just like not like somebody who's like arguably a top ten player if he's a thirty five goal scorer. Well, yeah, I well he when did he get drafted? I don't even know. He was a third round pick. That's that's fine for me. I mean, for, yeah, that's great for a third round pick. Just not. Again, I'm just saying he's just not going to be a 35 goal scorer. I just I've had enough of Twitter fights from Rangers fans about him being a 35 goal scorer. It's not happening. It's always just like you put him with Mika, he's popping in 35 at least. It's like no, he's not. No, no, and no. And that and that's okay. It's like not everybody is a 35 goal scorer. That's, yeah, that's fine. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> You know, pop in 20 to 25 goals, 20, 25 yeah. assists, you know, good night like, good this league, like, the fact that you even got a third-round player who's contributing this much isn't good. Like, people think there's too many there's too many people that think, like, just because a guy's, like, a first-round – all right, mini oh, boy. Sorry. Oh, it's boy. on. There's too many people who, like, think in NHL circles that all your first-round picks are going to be studs. And they're going to be superstars. It's like, no. You're drafting an 18-year-old. You're taking a guess. They might be playing in another country. You don't know where they are psych- like psychologically, physically. Dudes develop at a different level. How many different coaches have they had? How many different organizations? Do they actually have a plan for their development? Dudes are more often become busts than you think in the first round, second round, third round, whatever in the NHL. Right? Two words. I'm just saying it. Just Two saying. words. Nail Yakupov. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Remember, the, he was supposed to be an Ovechkin reincarnated. Remember that? There's an interview with Brian Burke where he said he did, like, the pre-draft interview with Neil Yakupov, and he was ready to punch him. He hated Neil Yakupov so much. He's like, I'm not taking him if he falls to us. You can forget it. I don't care how talented he is. So Yeah. I, I just bought Brian Burke's book, so I'm, like, super – I hope – I don't know if that's in there or not, but I hope there's, like, great dirt because he – that dude knows where all the league bodies are buried. Yeah, I'm sure there is. So – Somehow we got to Neil Yakupov from uh, Brendan Lemieux getting traded, but you know that's how it goes. <laughs> um, that's how it goes. So moving on from that, um, we had some sad news coming out of St. Louis. Um, St. Louis legend, St. Louis Blues legend Bob Plager passed away. I believe he was seventy-six. Um, anybody who's a Blues fan, anybody who's around the Blues franchise, they know who Bob Plager is. You know, he's been a coach for, he like, I think he stepped in the coach for them a little bit. You know, he's always been involved with the team. His number's retired. So I personally didn't know too much about Bob Plager. I'm hoping you know more than I do to talk about him. But, you know, sad news coming out of St. Louis. And, you know, all the guys around the team were talking about him. And guys who used to play for the Blues were all, Blues alumni were saying things about him. So, Nick, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, dude was just like, that dude was just like he would do whatever it would take to win. Like certainly not the most offensively gifted guy, but that guy, like if blocking a shot with a face, if with his face would like help his team win, that guy would do it. And that's why he was so loved. I think he still has like the record for like most penalty minutes in the season in the OHL. I don't think anybody's passed that number yet. I know Zach Cassian got close when he was coming up in his draft year, but like talk about a guy who like. He touched every level of hockey, right? Player, executive, coach, uh, assistant GM, assistant coach. Um, I think he was even a vice president of player development for the St. Louis Blues. And you thought you talk about like how good of a development staff that the St. Louis Blues have had. For him to be a part of that shows you how good he was at his job. Um, 
you know, he, he was like, he was like how we call Gordy Howe, Mr. Hockey. Like he was Mr. Blue. Like that was just like, he, he just bled, you know, the St. Louis Blues and the St. Louis Blues lifestyle. And he loved that team more than anything in the world. Um, I, I love that guy, you know, he was loved by a lot of people. I mean, the amount of people that had stories about him being able to make them smile and laugh and whatnot. Um, RIP to that guy. I just wish, I just wish there was more players around him a little bit in today's era with where they were not afraid to do the dirty work and was also just like a super great teammate and also just like a fun marketing, like level guy. Like I feel like if he played today, like he would have a huge following on social media because he's just, he was just a funny dude. Right, exactly. Yeah, and he, um, you know, he's he played 615 games for the St. Louis Blues. You know, his numbers retired with his brothers Bill and Barclay. Um, they all played together on the Blues, and you know, he was either a player, coach, or executive for basically the entire Blues existence, like you said. So, you know, an icon in St. Louis. You know, he's definitely going to be missed. I misspoke. He's actually 78. He was 78 when he passed, and. You know, sending all our thoughts, our love, and prayers to his family um, to get through this. But Bob Plager, uh, unfortunately, passing away at 78. So, um, you know, hope obviously, you know, hoping for the best for everybody down there. So, um, again, we always bring seem to bring the mood down near the end of the pod. But Nick, I have a question. Yes, sir. Do you have a geek stat of the week? I, I actually failed on preparing a Geek Style Week. I, I found one, but I realized it was one that I already presented already, and I, I didn't want to be like that guy. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> because I didn't, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really prepare um, of this day in hockey history. Um, so I'm going to look that up now. It's It's been a crazy, crazy week at work. Um, so this day in hockey history, what's today, March 30th? Yes, sir. Let's go. We're going to be coming up on some sick, like, playoff history soon, right? With the calendar turning to April. I God, mean, there's got to be some, like... One would hope, right? Uh, okay, March 30th. On this day. Why is it so hard for me to find it on this day in hockey history? All right, guess I don't have one. Um... All right, so Nick, since it's March 30th, why don't you give me your favorite player to ever wear number 30? Number 30. Very popular goalie number. Yes. I would say probably either Marty Verdure, who was like, like the Devils were like my other team when I was young because like the Sabres also weren't very good in that era. But then also like growing up like Ryan Miller, like to me, that guy needs to get his number retired soon by the Sabres before he like doesn't want them to. <laughs> he wants them to like erase all his history for them. Um, he was my guy, man. I mean, he was the backbone of that team. I, just making ridiculous saves. Like, it's Miller time always being shouted out through the arena. So that was probably be my guy. Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to pick uh, good old Ryan Miller at number 30. My Maybe one of my favorite hockey interviews of all time. Uh, after Milan Lucic laid him out. Oh, my God. And they ask him a question, and he goes, I just need to talk about what a piece of shit Lucic is. Like, just, and then he, like, bounced as soon as he... Yeah, as soon as he was done saying it, he goes, it's gutless, and he leaves. Like, so awesome. Yeah, Ryan Miller, just a Buffalo legend, American goaltender. But, yeah, you'd have to pick Marty Brodeur. Uh, I have his career stats up. 
691, 397, and 49 in his career because he played for the Devils from 1993 to 2014. And then he had that one little stint with the Blues in 2014-15. Maybe the great... immediately retired and became like a GM, didn't he? Yeah, like he immediately went into the front office. Um, he actually wore 29 when he joined the Devils because goalie Chad Erickson was wearing number 30. Um, Devils so, legend Chad Erickson. Yeah, Devils legend Chad Erickson. Then when he returned to New Jersey in the fall of 93, he was given number 30 and then... Nobody ever wore it ever again because it was retired on February 9th, 2016. So greatest number 30 of all time, Marty Brodeur. You're a favorite, Ryan Miller, and I'm good with that. So, Nikki, any final thoughts as we wrap this puppy up, put a little bow on it? Any final thoughts on this week in the NHL? I would say, you know, uh, there's been there's been a lot of ro- roster shuffling going on with the taxi squad and stuff. I'm hoping we kind of get to see like these usual lineups back coming through. I feel like we've had a couple of teams streaking that we'll talk about next week if the streaks continue. Yeah, we will. And uh, these playoff races, baby, these things are starting to heat up. It's starting to sizzle a little bit. I mean, I thought, I know I, I've said this to you, I figured that, these races were like done like two weeks ago. Like we knew the four teams that were going to be in, it was done. Like we just knew, but now there's stuff going on in the central Nashville is kind of making a push. You know, Columbus is still hanging around. Chicago is still hanging around, you know, up North, you know, you know, Montreal is clinging and clutching to that fourth spot. Um, with, you know, even Ottawa is only nine points out. Like that's not, that is crazy, which is wild. Yeah, that is nowhere near done. You know, you have Calgary and Vancouver knocking on the door of the playoffs. You know, these these races are very, very much alive here. You know, even the Rangers are making kind of a late push in the East, and the Flyers have been struggling, to say the least. I won't pile on them, because we kind of piled on them last week. But, you know, it's it's so wide open, and teams only have like 20 to 25 games left. So we're really getting down to the old nitty-gritty here. Trade deadline's in a couple weeks, so, you know, or it might even be in a week. So we'll see, you know, who, re, like you said, reshuffles the lineup, who looks to reload a little bit. You know, there's going to be guys like Taylor Hall is going to be on the move, potentially Kyle Palmieri, Ricard Raquel, potentially, even though he just got hurt, uh, maybe Matias Ekholm. So there's a, there's a lot of... Lot of it's it's a fluid situation in the NHL as always. I love it. I love it, man. Best hockey content is still to come. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping this trade deadline because the NBA trade trade deadline was so like so wild that I'm hoping we get the same thing with the NHL. It's like you get spoiled with the NBA trade deadline because it's always crazy. Um, all right, Nikki, any last words before I let you go? Nope, just keep following us along, follow, follow along on our social media, leave us a review if you guys want to. Uh, if you guys got suggestions or things we want to talk about, don't be afraid to give us a shout out. We'll gladly go through everything that you guys want us to go through. Yes, always reach out. Always be reaching out. I'm Eric. He's Nick. We're your top pair. Adios.